Hello everyone, Al from Point of Insanity Game Studio here, and welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studio's Geekery in General podcast. Now this episode is going to be pretty much off the cuff. I didn't really prepare too much for this episode, mainly because I've been uh, busy this week with you know a few things, but this uh, coming weekend, I am recording this on uh, October 18th, and I have a game convention I've been preparing for. It's in Oshkosh called New Game of Palooza. It'll be the uh, 21st and 22nd. So if by any chance you happen to stop by New Game of Palooza, hey, stop by and say hello. It's a, it's a small convention, but I've always had a lot of fun there, and one of the reasons I like going to conventions is there's some friends I've made in the, I guess you could say the the small convention circuit where, you know, we just go to certain small conventions. And um, unfortunately, I haven't done as many conventions as I've wanted to recently, but it does give me a chance to reconnect with some people that I don't see very often. So always looking forward to it. But today's episode is going to be uh, another retro review, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Complete Ranger's Handbook for AD&D 2nd Edition. Now, for my friends who've been gaming with me for years, you know, since like the high school era and, you know, middle school time in my life, you know, the fact that I'm going to be doing a review on the Ranger's Handbook should be no surprise. I've always liked Rangers. They're one of my favorite classes in Dungeons and Dragons. I think part of it was uh, from my involvement in, you know, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, where, you know, this whole idea of this, you know, outdoorsy guy who does good things, that appealed to me. And okay, I admit, I grew up watching the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, and, and yes, I did like Hank the Ranger and his magical bow. Now, I seem to recall also when I was first learning about Dungeons and Dragons, and, you know, I've told this uh, story every now and then, how the reason I became uh, inspired or, well, the reason I decided to check out Dungeons and Dragons is because of my cousin and uh, some family friends. You know, we had this group of uh, you know, friends at my, you know, well, this group of other families that my family was friends with. And sometimes when I would stay at one of their houses, uh, a couple of the, you know, these older kids, they were into Dungeons and Dragons. And I remember back when I was, I don't know, maybe seven, eight, nine years old, something like that. I remember watching these older teenage boys uh, sitting around and playing Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, before I actually started playing D&D, I remember, um, at least before I really started playing it seriously, uh, there was a local hobby store that I got this miniature pack. And I don't think it was TSR it may have been Grenadier, but it was a pack of dungeon adventurers. 
And there was this one that I always thought was really cool. Uh, it's this guy charging and he's got his shield and, you know, his shield has a, like a tree on it. And he's not really using a sword, more of a balisard. I think that that's what they call them. The, the swords where it's got that hand guarded, it's more of a thrusting weapon than, um, yeah, you can slash with it too, of course. And then his, his cloak is all, you know, flapping in the wind behind him, and he looked so cool. And the miniature pack described him as being a ranger. So that was one of the things that also got me interested in uh, the ranger class. And one of the people described it to me as, oh, rangers, they're these, you know, these outdoorsy guys. They're kind of like Robin Hood. So anyways, uh, fast forward a bit. Around middle school, that's when I started to get into D&D more seriously. When it was transitioning from 1st edition to 2nd edition. And every version of D&D I've got, from 2nd edition onward, first time I pick up my new player's handbook, I always crack it open and I look for the section on the Ranger just to see you know, how the Ranger is going to be played in that edition. And not only that, every time I've created a character for a new version of the game, it's my first character has always been a ranger. And if, you know, I decide to check out 6th edition D&D, if and when that version comes out, you can bet, again, not going to break tradition, my first character I'm going to play will be a ranger. And if I ever have a chance to check out Pathfinder, again, my first character will be a ranger. (laughs) But enough of me rambling. Let's take a look at the Complete Ranger's Handbook. And it was written by Rick Swan and published in 1993. I remember when I went to my local hobby store, uh, they had this uh, chart up showing the release dates for the new supplements coming out. And I remember seeing the one for the complete Rangers handbook. And it was like, this was like three months before it was due to come out. And needless to say, I was very excited because I had gotten the fighter's handbook and I like some of the material that they had in the fighter's handbook. And there's definitely some good stuff in there for your Ranger character but it was it was exciting for me to see that rangers were going to get their own book. So, it starts out with your standard introductory stuff. Uh chapter 1 just talks a little bit about uh the requirements. So, this is more or less uh information that was copy and pasted over from the uh, from the player's handbook, so just, you know, gives a couple more pages to the book, and, you know, it clarifies a few things. But they do introduce uh, a couple of new things here that um, I actually really liked. One of the new rules they gave is primary terrain, uh, because this would be the type of natural environment that your ranger is familiar with. And this is the one that you would excel at surviving in. Uh, Also, they gave a rule for rangers to specialize. So if you chose to specialize in that terrain, 
you'd get a bonus not only with your survival skills, but if you were doing other things like uh, tracking or even training animals from uh, that particular terrain. The only downside is that you're so good at, well, let's say you're a uh, forest ranger, you know, of course, that's going to be very common. If you specialize in that, well, you're not going to be as good using your survival skills in any other terrain. Now, Chapter 2, where it starts talking about ranger abilities, it goes into a little bit more detail uh, for tracking, which, of course, is one of those skills that uh, rangers start with. Um, Also, they do give a little bit of information about how he could use hide in shadows or move silently. Uh, They also gave him something called an identification check. So this was something that you would use in conjunction with your tracking ability. It would let you guess things like uh, how many creatures were there, uh, how big they were, um, were they moving you know, fast, does it look like they were taking their time. It also goes a little bit more into the species enemy where they give you some good ideas for how to choose a species enemy. Uh, Probably the most common one is, well, let's say you choose ogre as your species enemy. Chances are you had a traumatic experience with an ogre in the past. You know, maybe an ogre destroyed your village or, you know, killed your parents. Now, it also talks a little bit more about uh, how your primary terrain would impact your uh, species enemy. They do have a chart that you can use if you want to roll. Now, of course, you don't have to use them. But they have a list of enemies that would be common for a ranger who specializes in that terrain. So, for example, uh, if you're a, a forest ranger... The common enemies they give there would be Green Dragon, Bugbear, uh, Ettercap, Ghouls and Ghasts, Goblins, Hobgoblins, Kobolds, Ogre, Orcs, and, and Trolls. So I guess this does make sense because if your ranger spends a lot of time in the forest, well, you know, why would he develop a great hatred of Kowatoa or Sahagin, you know, since those are aquatic marine uh, monsters. And, of course, they stress that you don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to base your species enemy on what terrain you specialize in. It's just a little option. And, of course, they do go more into the uh, rangers' natural abilities to identify plants and animals, and they even uh, devote an entire chapter to followers. So, you know, followers are actually one of those things that I know, at least in my groups, we never really did much with the followers, and I think it's because, well, let's be honest, yeah, it might be kind of cool to have a wolf or a tiger as a follower, 
well, what are they going to do if you have to go against, I don't know, a, a vampire or a really powerful dragon? You know, those, those animals aren't really going to be able to do as much. So it's not something that my groups have ever really gotten into. But when they talk about uh, the followers, they do give some more tables. Because uh, if you look in the player's handbook, it has a fairly generic um, chart, but the Ranger's Handbook does expand on it, and it gives you a list of followers that you would be likely to attract based on your terrain. Again, just to use a Forest Ranger as an example, uh, some of the animals you're likely to get might be like a hawk or a badger, a centaur, a pixie, a pseudo-dragon, a treant, and that makes sense. I mean, if you were, let's say, for example, a desert ranger, well, you're probably not going to attract a treant as a follower. And you're also not going to attract anything like a selkie or a triton or a dolphin as a follower because, well... Those types of animals really can't do do you much good when you're in a desert. And of course, they do give you the uh, chart for uh, human and demi-human followers. Another interesting thing is they also uh, they also do give terrain and uh, species enemy and followers for the underdark. So if you do decide to have your you know campaign based in the underdark. You do, you, and you want to play a ranger. You do have um, that. You do have those options. So, in addition to talking about some of the general behaviors of an animal follower, it actually gives a, a lot of information about how to train your followers. And different types of animals are going to have different levels of trainability. Uh, for example, a animal with fairly low intelligence, um, such as, you know, like a deer or, you know, a chipmunk, they can't really do much. So usually the only thing you're going to be able to train those to do would be things like, you know, stay, sit, you know, speak. But when you start getting into animals with higher levels of intelligence, such as certain types of primates, um, you can teach them to do things like chores or how to wield small weapons. And there is this picture that I do like in uh, this section. There's a ranger, he's kicking back against a tree, and he's got a big old smile on his face, and he's relaxing. And his chimpanzee follower is washing the dishes in the stream. So I always thought that I always thought that was just a, a funny uh, picture for the uh, you know to, to put in the book there. So after followers, we get into kits. Now, of course, the complete fighter's handbook does give you some ideas of uh, some good kits that you can take, such as the beast rider is a good example, uh, the wilderness warrior is another type of uh, fighter kit that I could see being very uh, useful for a ranger. But 
maybe you want to do something that's a little more custom tailored for your ranger and that's where this section has a lot of good information so in a lot of the this a lot of the descriptions are pretty standard it it gives you requirements uh what skills or weapons you need and also um it gives you any bonus proficiencies plus you also can get a bonus or penalty to your move silently and hide in shadows now the first one uh beastmaster this would be more or less a well i guess you could kind of think of the uh there's an old movie from the 80s called uh beastmaster so these are uh warriors who tend to they tend to favor the company of animals more than than people do another good kit is the explorer and this is the ranger that uh usually is well i guess you could say he's kind of like indiana jones in a way where uh, while he is certainly capable of you know fighting his way out of a bad situation he is also a scholar as well and you know usually these are the people who uh will be in charge of expeditions the falconer is another uh interesting kit here especially if you do use followers their main thing is they're well really good at attracting or they're really good at training falcons and their first uh falcon that they get uh actually is exceptional so they get a little bit more hit points and they're a little bit better in combat than your average falcon is going to be the next one the ferolin this fills the archetype of the wild child so a, a good example well if you've ever played final fantasy 6 uh the character gao he would be a ferolin so this is the type of ranger that well he was lost or abandoned in the woods as a kid and was essentially ranged was essentially raised by animals. This really isn't one that I've ever played. Uh it just didn't really seem that interesting. I did have one person in a campaign that I was running that did play a, a Feralin and seemed to work okay. I mean it it's really good I think if you are going to be doing a, a heavy wilderness exploration campaign because again they're going to be really good at uh moving in that natural environment. but of course they're going to be uh more limited in their in their abilities in the city because that's they're going to feel kind of nervous there the forest runner this type of ranger is great for those who want to play robin hood essentially that's what a forest runner is it's a a ranger who is who operates in a a, a country where there's an oppressive regime Next is the giant killer and this one I like because it calls back to basic I'm sorry not basic uh first edition D&D because you might recall in first edition D&D the ranger gets a he doesn't get to choose a single species enemy but he actually gets a combat bonus against virtually any type of humanoid trolls orcs ogres goblins etc 
and of course giants. And they got a plus one to damage rolls for every level. So 10th level ranger, plus 10 to damage against those types of creatures. Now, the giant killer is a little more limited than that. Um, Of course, he only has giants as a species enemy, but he, and he does get that plus one damage per level. However, uh, it's against all giants, so not quite uh, as diverse as a first edition ranger, but kind of a nice little throwback. Not only that, um, they also get a bonus to defend against uh, attacks from giants because, you know, they're so good at fighting these creatures. So, if I could, <laughs> you know, if I ever uh, play against the Giants again, this as a player, not as a game master, this is the type of Ranger that I'm going to be taking into that campaign. Perhaps one of the most unusual types of Rangers we see here is the Greenwood Ranger. So this is a Ranger who, uh, after third level, he undergoes this ritual and he essentially becomes, well, a tree man. He still looks like a humanoid, but his skin turns into bark. And, well, he's essentially part human, part plant. Not exactly sure what they were thinking with that one, but, hey, if you like having really unusual characters, well, there you go. The Guardian is another ranger kit that I never really used. Their main thing is they have a specific area of land that they have taken upon themselves to protect. So they get a couple extra abilities while they're in their their area, but not only that, um, they also gain uh, access to the protection sphere as well. So they have a little bit more uh, magic to work with than most uh, rangers do. Next, the Justifier. And this is probably my favorite ranger kit. I've played a number of Justifiers. Essentially, these would be your commando rangers. These are the uh, rangers that are usually going to work in conjunction with uh, military, or they could be uh, freelance as well, and they just they have a little bit more to work with in combat uh, than most rangers. They do get to specialize, and uh, one of the one of the skills they have that I've has actually been rather handy sometimes. They have an ability called tactical advantage, where the ranger takes some time to size up the situation and then makes a check. And if he succeeds, then you surprise your opponents and you get initiative on the first round. So that's something that's actually come in quite handy. They don't get as many proficiencies, though, and their spell use is a little more limited. The Mountain Man. This would be, well, a Mountain Man. This is someone who lives off the grid, so to speak. And this would be your ranger who's, you know, tough rough and crude. So, you know, his idea of a practical joke might be to put bear poop in your sleeping bag. 
So they don't, again, they don't get as much to work with in magic as most rangers do. Um, their main ability is they're really good survivalists. They can cobble together uh, crude weapons. And they also have a, a really strong will to live. So that uh, gives them the ability to uh, keep fighting even, well, a chance to keep fighting even if they've been reduced to zero or less hit points. The Pathfinder is a type of ranger that would work hand-in-hand with the Explorer. Now, unlike the Explorer, who is usually the person in charge of an expedition, the Pathfinder is the one who usually scouts ahead. So uh, he also is really helpful for guiding large groups of characters over, you know, over land. So an, an interesting character, but not one that I've actually ever had a chance to play uh, sea Rangers, they're essentially, well, a ranger that specializes in surviving on the ocean. Another type of ranger that I've played from this book is the Seeker. And this is a ranger who is more spiritual, so he's more of a, a philosopher than a fighter. He still has all the same combat abilities, though he his weapon usage is a bit more limited. However, as a trade-off, um, he does get a more access to spells. He can actually go up to fourth level spells. And not only that, he gets an additional sphere um, in addition to just the plant and animal spheres. The Stalker, uh, they are urban rangers. So if you choose to you know, I don't know if you decide to uh, have your campaign set in a large city like Waterdeep or Greyhawk or uh, Baldur's Gate. This could be a helpful ranger to have as, unlike most rangers, they're actually very much at home in the city. And then there is finally the Warden. Eh, not really much to that class there. Whereas the Guardian is the self-appointed protector of a, a plot of land, the Warden is in the employee of an overlord, like a king or a baron, and he essentially gets paid to patrol the wilderness. And of course they do have some ideas for how to create some new kits like dragon killers or a ranger that focuses on uh, destroying undead. Also. Like in uh, a lot of these books, they do have rules for demi-human rangers. And I like this part because it does give you some options if you want to play a gnome, halfling, or dwarf as a ranger. The only real drawback is you do have to take a character kit um, if you are going to be a demi-human ranger. And you also don't get as much of the spell use. They also give the option for a multi-class ranger druid, which, I don't know, I can honestly see it working, but I, I know there's a lot of people, they they're, they don't agree with the idea because while the, ra- the ranger has to be good, the druid has to be true neutral. So, I don't know, I don't think it's a bad idea, Just just my opinion. 
Chapter 5 uh, gives you a list of all the weapon proficiencies that a ranger can learn. And of course, it does give uh, some new ones as well, uh, such as camouflage or um, alertness, distance sense. And they also give some actually fairly detailed rules for uh, falconry, for training falcons. And of course, there are a few new spells, but one of the things I guess I'd never really liked too much about 2nd edition rangers, I, I, their spells choice being so limited to just plant or animal, though a couple of the kits do further restrict the spells. Uh, for example, the Greenwood Ranger, he only gets plant spells, and the Feralin only gets animal spells. So... They've got a few interesting ideas for spells there, but, uh, you know, not nothing that really stands out. The book also does uh, cover uh, some of the types of equipment that would be helpful for a ranger, uh, such as sun goggles, uh, sunburn ointment, uh, gives information on some different types of tents. There's a few new magic items. So, it again, just a little extra stuff that... Uh, does help round out your uh, your character. There's also a section on role-playing, which, you know, they talk a little bit about some of the ethics that are uh, common for rangers, um, such as their moral code and their love of nature. Um, also, it talks about some ways that you might become a ranger. For example, you know, you might, maybe there's a, an elderly ranger in... Uh, your campaign who's about to hang up his bow and he's going to retire. So, you know, you might become an apprentice to him. Or, you know, maybe circumstance. You know, your character became lost and he had to learn off the, to survive off of the land. And then the last chapter, Rangers and Religion. So I do like this section as it gives you a little bit more information about how you might go about role-playing your ranger, uh, specifically how they tend to interact with druids as well as clerics. And the, the relationships can actually work fairly well. Uh, for example, with a druid, I mean, I could see a druid turning to a ranger um, if there's a major threat facing the lands that he is protecting. Because, well, you know, the druid, you know, he might be a, a competent fighter, he really is going to need a, a you know, a, a dedicated warrior to help him with uh, whatever trouble he uh, is facing. Likewise, uh, clerics might form alliances with rangers because a church might ask a ranger to go to, you know, expeditions into the wilderness, perhaps to recover lost religious artifacts or investigate the site of a ruined temple. Oh yes, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 9 is not the last one. Chapter 10, so just a short little chapter that uh, talks about different types of gatherings that rangers might uh, decide to participate in. So I could see that as being uh, you know, good if you are going to be playing an all-ranger campaign, um, though they really don't talk much about that in this book. I mean, I know in the I know in the Fighter's Handbook, they did talk about an all-fighter campaign. And I think in the Thieves' Handbook, they did talk about the all-thief campaign. 
So they didn't really go too much into that in this book. But overall, oh yes, and then they also include the uh, first edition Ranger information as well. So maybe if you didn't have a chance to check out that edition, but you want to see what the you know what the first edition Ranger was like. So all in all, definitely a good book if you do enjoy playing Rangers. Not really much to offer non-Ranger characters in here. So I'd have to say that's the only real uh, fault with the book. The only information in there that might... Well, some of the non-weapon proficiencies are helpful. But, you know, maybe if you're playing a cleric or a druid, some of the new plant and animal spells in there might be of use to you. So all in all... Very enjoyable book. I, I always liked reading it. It had some it had some nice artwork in it. Vast majority of it is uh just black and white um art you know sketches, but they do have a few full color uh pages in there. Um most of them I believe were done by Jeff Easley. Uh but I said not as much not quite as much artwork as uh there was in the Fighter's Handbook. I uh, I think the Fighter's Handbook actually had a bit more artwork than the Rangers one did. So with that said, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Have a good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.